Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. It's good to see all of you here as well this morning. And thank you for the privilege of being able to come along today and, and speak with you. And I also want to thank you too for your, for your love, for your prayers, for your support, uh, for our, the warm space. It's not our warm space, it's our warm space, isn't it? It belongs to, to, to us. Uh, it belongs to God and, and he, he works through us, doesn't he? So thank you uh, for your prayers. Thank you for your support. And thank you for that wonderful, wonderful amount of fundraising um, which you did uh, for the warm space. God bless you. Thank you. I'd like to read a couple of verses from God's word, the Bible. So if you'd like to follow these with me, they are familiar words, but these are words which I believe the Lord laid on my heart uh, to bring to us today. The first one is from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, reading from um, verse 17 through to verse uh, 20. When they worshipped him, sorry, when they saw him, that's Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Praise God for those words. And then following on from those words, I'd like to read from Acts chapter 1, just one verse. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Again, the words of Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm fortunate in that I've got a new Bible, a new study Bible, and um, those words, most of the words in our first reading and all of the words in our second reading are actually in red in my study Bible, a red letter Bible, um, because those are the exact words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and words which have been passed down through the eons to us today. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awesome that God's word is passed down to us for us to, to learn uh, more and more? about Jesus. I'm just going to put my Bible there so I don't want to put it on the floor. There we go. And of course, the first reading has a wonderful name. It's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. This is important because as we read the Great Commission, going and making disciples and baptizing people, these are actually the last recorded words of Jesus while he was on earth. Of course, Jesus speaks to us still through the Holy Spirit, but these are the very, very last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and to us today. And they're quite important. In fact, they're very, very important. Quite simply... Jesus tells the disciples that they are under his authority. That they were to make disciples, to baptize them. You notice the order in which this happens, disciples first and then baptism. And to teach them to obey, <clears throat> to obey Jesus and all his commands. 
sorry, excuse me. And also to teach them about Jesus, you know, his teaching, his life, his death, uh, and his resurrection. You see, by Jesus' death on that cross on Calvary, he got rid of all those things that come between us and God, and us and each other. All these things that, that, that stop us having a, a friendship or a relationship with God and each other. And when we put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we give our lives to him, when we know truly who Jesus is and, and, and love him and worship him, we are reconciled to God. We're reconciled to each other too. Now think about that for a moment. Isn't that wonderful? That God has provided a way for us to be his friends again. That God has provided a way for us to be each other's friends again. Even though things might get in the way of our relationship. It's awesome when you think about it. That every single human being is precious in God's sight. That every single human being is loved by God. You know, if you're here today... And you think that no one loves you. If you're here today and you're, you're trying to work a way forward in your life, remember this, that you are loved and you are precious. The world might tell us that we're just a cog in a machine. You know, if you've ever had to, to phone up a, a utilities company or any other large organization, you feel like you're just a, a number. God is saying to us today <clears throat> that you are not a number that you are precious in his sight. And if you don't already know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, he's knocking at your, your door. He's asking you to trust him and to receive him as um, your Savior. God is in the restoration business. God is in the reconciliation business and, you know, that's the message which we need to get out there to people. The society in which we live in, <clears throat> sociologists tell us, well, it used to be when I was studying a post-modernist society, it's probably now a post-post-post-post-modernist society, where people in, in general don't actually understand the truth of the gospel. Our pluralistic society tells us that you can believe what you want to believe. You know, do what you want to do, so long as you don't hurt anybody else. You know, pick and choose what you want to believe in. That's what society tells us. People don't know the truth of the gospel. They don't know that there is an ultimate truth, because they're told there's a myriad of different truths. You know, believe whatever truth you feel you want to follow at the time, but of course we know that there is an ultimate truth. And the ultimate truth is the Lord God Almighty that has given us a, a plan in God's in his word, the Bible, given us a way forward, opened up the doors to, to heaven for us through sending Jesus. And even other faiths. And it is important that we respect other faiths, that we learn from other faiths, and that we reach out to people of different faiths. But even other faiths, especially the, the monotheistic faith, those that believe in one God as, as Christians do, their understanding of God is totally different to a Christian's understanding of God. You see, 
Many religions, even very basic religions, they believe in a God, a creator God, as Christians do. But their understanding of a creator God is slightly different. You see, they may well believe that God created the world, that God created the whole of the cosmos, but then he left that world, you know, to get on doing its own thing, a bit like a, a child's toy. You know, a clock, a clock, you know, these old-fashioned clockwork toys that you used to wind up before electronics came along. You'd wind the toy up and, and it'd jump around or it'd swim in the bath, whatever it was going to do. And, and, and that's what it did. And so many religions believe that's what God is like. He set the world in place, wound it up, left the world, left the earth, left us to get on doing our own thing. A distant God, you know, far beyond the reaches of, of the galaxies. A God who's left his creation alone, lost and bereft. But the God whom we worship this morning, the God whom we love, the God whom we serve with the whole of our lives is a God of relationships. Yeah? It's not a distant God. It's a God of relationships. You know, that's why he chose to break into human history. We celebrated this a couple of weeks ago. And and whenever I think of Christmas, I think of the awesomeness of it. Sometimes we get lost in the story sometimes. It's lovely to to read about the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph and and the wise men. But if you actually stop and actually think of what happened... It's awesome, absolutely awesome, that 2,000 or so years ago, God chose to intervene in human history. He sent Jesus, born as a baby, placed in a manger. This same Jesus, this little baby, who would grow up to be the man who would die on the cross for us, for all humanity, for all creation. Isn't God good? Isn't God good that he should do this for us? You know, I don't know about you, but I was close to tears when I was singing the darling of heaven crucified. He sent the darling of heaven, his most precious son, to earth to identify with us in the vulnerability of a child, of a baby, but then, then to die on that cross. And often, you know, we, we sanitize the cross. We sanitize the cross. You know, we, we go to great cathedrals like Durham Cathedral, awesome place. We perhaps go to a, an Anglican church and we see a beautiful altar. We don't have altars in our traditions, do we? But we, we, some churches have these beautiful altars. And there's the cross and then there's the two candlesticks, one either side. Beautiful, beautiful thing to see. And, and you get awestruck when you see it. But you know, the truth is, that Jesus Christ didn't die on a gold cross in a cathedral between two candlesticks. It was bloody. It was awesome. It, awesome and painful at the same time. He went to the cross. He stretched out his arms and he said to all humanity, to us today, he says, I love you this much. And he made himself so vulnerable for us. And you've probably heard this before. But you know, 
Even if there was only one person on earth, just one single person on earth at the time, when Jesus died on that cross, he would have gone there for that one person. That's how precious you are. If you think you're not precious today, think again because you are. He loves you. He went there for you. He went there for me and all people. And, you know, even before we were born, when Jesus was there on that cross going through that agony that he suffered, we were on his mind. He was thinking of us. That's why he went there. That's why he went to that cross. The only person who could, the perfect lamb of God, a man who who never sinned, he died for you. He died for me. And you know, I am convinced, and I'm sure you are too, but I am convinced if people actually knew the truth of the gospel, if people actually knew how much God loves us, then they couldn't help but just fall at his feet, acknowledge him as their Lord and their Saviour, ask him into their lives, have their sins forgiven, and begin again. But the truth is, and this might sound shocking to say this, but the truth is, in our post, 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 post modernist society, the society that we live in now, in the West, people just don't know the truth of the gospel. Yes, they may know stories in the Bible. Perhaps, you know, they might know about Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark. Jonah and the whale. They know something about Christmas because most people in the West celebrate Christmas. They'll know something about Easter but not really know what it's all about. They'll have the head knowledge. They'll know the stories. They'll know the, the stories that, you know, of, of Noah and the ark, for example. They'll know about Christmas but they don't really know or they don't really fully understand the truth about Jesus and that cross on Calvary. And the truth that he didn't stay dead, praise God, that he rose again. And because Jesus lives, we will live also. <clears throat> they don't know. Somewhere and somehow the, the, the story, the narrative has got lost. The true meaning for many, many people who would not contemplate um, coming into a church or entering into dialogue with Christians, the narrative's been lost and they don't know the true meaning. And I have a story to share with you. It's actually a true story. It happened when I was uh, in Bradford <laughs> many years ago now. And there was a story about a, a couple, a young man and a, a young woman, and he, he wanted to buy her something. Isn't that nice? So he asked her what she wanted. And she said, oh, I'd like a necklace, please. So they went down into the town and they went to the jewellers. I won't mention the name because there are other jewellers apart from one. And she looks in the window. You can picture the scene, can't you? Her looking in the window. And then she sees some crosses. And she says to her to her, a, a, a fiancé, Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd quite like a cross. Yeah, I'd quite like one of those. So they make a note of the number of the pad, you know, like you do. They went into the jewellers. And they said, Can we look at the crosses on pad for example, 28. I can't remember the exact number, but can, can I look at the, 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 the necklaces on that pad? 
So the jeweller brings them out and puts them there in front of her. There's quite a few crosses and she's, she's looking at them and she's, she's touching each one of them. And then, and then she sees one with a, well, it wasn't a cross, it was a crucifix. And she says, oh, I think I'll have the one with the little man on. I think I'll have the one with the little man on. <laughs> we can laugh, can't we? We do laugh. But can you, that was like 20 odd years ago now. You know, she didn't know that the little man represents, and it's a crucifix, Jesus Christ. That he died on that cross. And that, you know, it's just something she just couldn't comprehend. You know, we've got to get it out there, friends. Your time's moving on. And we can't say, you know, we, we can talk about Jesus coming again and we can't say he's coming again tomorrow. But there again, we can't say he isn't. You know, we don't predict times or dates, but we know that every day we live is a day closer to Jesus coming again. And people need to know the truth of the gospel. They need to know they're loved. And the, in the, the words of the, the, the old hymn, they're ransomed, healed, they're restored, they're forgiven because of that cross. We've got to get it out there. Tell people about Jesus. You know, Jesus changes lives. Jesus really does change lives. And you know, there are people who woke up from their sleep today. They woke up and they can see no hope. Literally can see no hope. Literally can see no future for whatever reason. That might be. They can see nothing but darkness. Nothing but no light at all. When we know that Jesus is, you know, the light of the world. They woke up today and to use some sanitized speech, they said, not another blooming day. Probably says something else. Not another blooming day. Because they just can't face what they're going to have to go through today. Just can't face another day. And that, that to me is really tragic. Really, really tragic. Because when they say, not another blooming day, or words to that effect, <clears throat> they're saying that they want to be dead. Or they're saying they'd rather not exist at all. But you know, that's not what Jesus wants for them, is it? Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us a future yeah, he gives us life eternal, here, now, and forever with him. You know, he doesn't want us to be held back by our past. Because sometimes people can think, not another blooming day, because they might have done things in the past. You know, and, and time and time again, we, you know, we come across people who are reliving the past like a, a DVD. They're, they're, they're playing over and over and over again in their minds all the mistakes, all the if-onlys. You know, if-only is, is, is just a couple of words, isn't it? But it has major, major implications for everybody. You know, if-only I hadn't said that. If only I hadn't done that. Or if only I had done that. And people can live their lives being weighed down and pulled down. And so they're paralyzed and unable to move forward. But God doesn't want that for people. He doesn't want us to be trapped in the past. All the things we think and do and say which are wrong. All those things which hold us back. I had gotten rid of at that cross on Calvary. 
You know, Jesus says, it is finished. It is finished. There's nothing else needed. Jesus has accomplished everything on that cross on Calvary. And he wants all people to have life, life in all its fullness, here now and forever. He's the hope that people need to know about. We need to get it out there. The people who are lost and lonely, people who who can see no way forward, we need to get it out there that there is a hope, there is a future. We have to get it out there because I tell you, my friends, if we don't, somebody else will. And I'm not talking about another church. I'm talking about a church or an organization that might preach a false Jesus. Let me tell you about my uncle Irvin. <clears throat> Sorry, I keep losing my voice. My uncle Irvin and my auntie Louie. I was named after my auntie Louie. Lovely people. No very little Christian background whatsoever. And my uncle was became very poorly. And for, for 30 years, he, he became more and more poorly until the end he was in a wheelchair. And my auntie looked after him. And then my auntie, sadly, she passed away. And my uncle Irvin was on his own. And of course, we tried to rally round. Of course, you know, my cousins were there. And, and I was there, even though we didn't have a car at the time. We tried to go see him as, as much as we could. But the truth is... Uncle Irvin was lonely, as you can imagine. And then one day, somebody came knocking at the door. It was the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they befriended him. They loved bombed him, as as the cults do. And before long, they were meeting at his house. Before long, his house was a base. Before long, he was buying them fish and chips. Cheeky. They were doing that. And then at 85 years old, my uncle Irving became a Jehovah's Witness. We weren't invited to his baptism, but seemingly he was was baptised in a great big swimming pool, portable swimming pool, in a football stadium in Sheffield. I forget the name of the place. And he didn't pledge his allegiance to Jesus Christ didn't acknowledge who Jesus is. Instead, he, he made some promises to the Watchtower, Watchtower Society organization. And he used to go around, pushed in his wheelchair, giving out awake magazines and Watchtower magazines, whatever they're called. And then sadly, he died. Not long after that, And I tell you, at his funeral, it was the most heartbreaking experience I've ever been to. Because there was no hope. There was no future. There was no heaven. No salvation, really. And if my two brothers hadn't been on either side of me, I swear, I probably wouldn't have walked out, but I certainly felt like doing that. And you know, what gets me is the saddest thing is... That literally 500 yards away from where my uncle Irving lived was a Calvary chapel. And I think that sometimes, you know, if, if it wasn't the Jehovah's Witnesses who came knocking first, if they'd have got knocking on the door first, then it may be, it may be that, you know, my uncle Irving became a Christian. And you know, 
forget who said this now, but someone once said that the cults, which Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult amongst others, the cults are the unpaid debts of the church. Now just think about that for a moment. The cults are the unpaid debts of the church. I haven't Googled it recently, but I once did, and I saw how how these groups are growing. And of course, they use methods which we would never use as Christians, love bombing, mind control, etc. But these groups are growing. The unpaid debts of the church. We have to get out there, my friends. We have to tell people the truth of the gospel, because if we don't, somebody else will tell them a false Jesus. Thinking about evangelism. We're doing a fantastic thing working together. It's awesome that we're working together with Make a Lunch and, and the Warm Place and, and, and you know, um, Friday Frenzies are using, absolute, using the building. Absolutely fantastic thing which we're doing. But we have to do more. That's what I, I feel the Lord's laid on my heart. It might just be for me, but this is the message that I feel I should bring to you today. And it might seem daunting. Well, it is daunting, isn't it? Having to go out and tell people about Jesus or show people Jesus. But you know, the good thing is that we don't do it on our own. We don't do it by ourselves. Because Jesus says, he's always with us. Verse 20 of our Matthew 28 uh, reading. He says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, Jesus is always with us. The same Jesus who was with us yesterday in whatever we had to do yesterday, whatever we faced yesterday, is the same Jesus who's with us today, here and now, powerfully present by the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Jesus who's going to be with us there tomorrow. Because the wonderful thing about God is God exists outside time. He's already there in tomorrow and all our tomorrows. He will never leave us. And when thinking on how to tell people about Jesus, in thinking of how to show people the love of Jesus... It can be so easy, can't it? You know, to, to do things in our own power, to do things in our own strength. And the truth is that even as Christians, with all the right motives, nothing wrong with our motives, with all the right motives, we can be so busy being busy that we don't actually hear what God is saying to us. And that's why it's so, so important to wait upon God. To be filled, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit, amongst other things, gives us the power, the supernatural power, to witness about Jesus. And this is what Jesus means when he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And again, notice, to the ends of the earth. Now I don't know about you, but when I read this, I see like a ripple effect, don't you? But like, you know, as a child, or maybe as an adult, I like to throw stones in ponds now. You throw a stone in a pond and you see this ripple effect, don't you? The ripples coming out from the center and going outwards. 
It's a ripple effect. And this is, is in, in a sense, is Jesus' model for evangelism. First, the disciples were to start where they were, in Jerusalem, witnessing to the Jewish people. And then to Samaria. The Samaritans were traditionally not very friendly towards the Jews, but they were to go there and to Judea and then to the ends of the earth. This model tells us that we are to start where we are in our Jerusalem, our family, our friends, our work colleagues. You know, there's people we meet quite often. And it's never easy, is it? Witnessing to people who we know because they know us too. And the devil will quickly say, you know, the enemy of our soul, the devil will quickly say, but you're not good enough. You're not good enough, Louise. You can't witness because you ate six, six Capri's cream eggs last night. One after the other. I have been known to do it. Not recently. And, and all these things come in. You know, you're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. You're whatever. But the truth is, you know, when we start to tell people about Jesus, I'll show people Jesus, then the enemy of our soul has to take a back seat, if you like, because the Holy Spirit is there and working in that situation with that person we're sharing the love of God with. Jesus, you see, he promises never, ever to leave us. He's right there in every single conversation we have. Because as promised, the promise of the Father, which Jesus talked about, the promise of the Holy Spirit came down on that first Pentecost. When those disciples gathered in one place were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they were empowered to witness in an absolutely fantastic, supernatural way. And that same power, my friends, is there for you and I today. Think about Peter, the Apostle Peter. This same Peter, who denied Christ three times, who said, I don't know him, who who turned his back on him in a sense, this same Peter who denied Christ three times, this same Peter who would have been, you know, feeling a bit down, I guess, even though Jesus had reinstated him three times, he still would have been feeling a bit down, feeling a little bit worthless, feeling not as good as he should be because of his denial of Christ. Now this same Peter, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the sermon of his life. And as we read on in Acts, Acts chapter 2 verse 41, we read that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, praise God. Praise God for that. God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And the Holy Spirit is available, as I've said, for us today. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the Great Commission. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Is a commandment, is a commission of Jesus. It isn't an optional extra. 
He didn't say, well, if you feel like it, you know, make disciples of nations and baptize them. No, he said, go. That means doing something. That means being proactive. It's a command. It's a command of Jesus. And so here's a challenging bit. (laughs) What's the Lord saying to you this morning? What is he asking you to do? I ask myself this same question. You know, it's important that we take time to listen to God. Like those first uh, Christians waited for the Holy Spirit. We need to take time to wait upon God. Ask him what he wants you to do. It might not be evangelism. It might be something else he's asking you to do. It could be anything. It's between you and the Lord. He's asking you to do something. He's asking each one of us to do something. Who is the person he wants you to speak to? Which group of people does he want you to meet with? As I get older and older, (laughs) I become to realise, you know, life isn't a dress rehearsal. This is it. We've got one shot at it. One wonderful life that the Lord has given to us. To love him, to worship him and to serve him. And to tell other people all about him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and find out there was something that the Lord wanted me to do for him. But I didn't do it. Maybe because I wasn't waiting on him and and listening to him. Maybe, you know, because I I was frightened. We can all be frightened. But Jesus also says to us today, get out of the boat and start walking on the water. And we can think of Peter, we can criticize Peter. Because he took his eyes off Jesus, didn't he? Jesus, remember the story, Jesus beckoned him to come to him on the water. And, and Peter did, and he began walking on the water. And then he took his eyes off Jesus and saw the waves and the wind. And, and he began to sink. And we can criticize Peter because he began to sink. Because he took his eyes off Jesus. But you know something? Of all those disciples, he was the only one who walked on water. That's the kind of life the Lord wants for you and I, my friends. He wants us to be able to metaphorically walk on water. But to do that, we've got to get out of the safety of the boat. Whatever the boat might be. You know, it can be so easy being comfortable. And it's good to be comfortable. It's safe to be comfortable in our Christian life. And and there are times in our life when that's what the Lord wants for us, just to, to be comfortable, just to rest in him and study his word and fall more and more in love with him. But there are also times when we've got to get out of being comfort, comfortable, get out of our comfort zone, if you like, and start doing whatever the Lord asks of us. It can be easy being in what's called a, a holding pattern. Now, for those of us who don't know what a holding pattern is, I, I didn't know until a few years ago. It's actually a pattern which uh, aeroplanes are stacked on, on top of each other as they come into land. And 
Years ago when I lived in Halifax, the uh, Nick Norman, my next door neighbour, her granddaughter went to Spain in the holidays to, to stay with her auntie who'd got a villa over there. So it was a, the school holidays and she went to Spain. And then Sophie came back and she was telling me all about her holiday. And she was telling me about the flight home and how terrified she'd been. Because she'd looked out of the window, she was only about 11 years old at the time, she looked out the window and she could see the plane was just going round and round and round and round. It wasn't going forward, it wasn't going backwards, it was just going round and round in the same pattern. And she was frightened that there was something wrong with the plane. And so she said to her dad, Dad, there's something wrong with the plane, we're just going round and round and round in circles. He says, don't worry, Sophie, You're actually, we're actually in a stack you know, above us are some planes that you can't see, and below us are some planes that you can't see. And we're, we're stacked. All the planes are going round and round and round until they can come down to land safely. It was a holding pattern. Sometimes our lives can be a holding pattern. Not that we're bad people, not that we're doing anything wrong, really, but we can be just there, not going backwards but not going forwards either. And so I believe the Lord challenges us to look at ways that we can go forward and share Jesus with people wherever we go. Or it may be the Lord says something else to you today and he's asking you to do something else. Trust him. Trust him. It's a new year. You know, we've not lived in 2023 before, have we? None of us have. Completely new, in a sense. Almost, it's the eighth, isn't it? So it's almost a a blank page in front of us. What are we going to write on that page? What are we going to write? What's going to be our legacy? What are we going to pass on? What impact are we going to make to people around us? To God's glory, in Jesus' name. Something for us to think about. Something for us to hold on to too. I'm just going to close with one <clears throat> one last thing. I'd like to share a poem. I also shared this last week as well, I'll be honest. It's a New Year's poem. And it's there to encourage us because it, it tells us that, you know, Jesus is with us into tomorrow and all the tomorrows. And it's a, a beautiful poem which was spoken in... Um, 1939, King George the VI Christmas address, you know, on the wireless, <laughs> on the radio. And the words are quite poignant, as I believe they're quite poignant for us today. And they struck a chord with the people at the time who were facing the uncertainty of the war, just as we face uncertainty today with Wars and rumours of wars and COVID and other things too. They were originally part of a poem called God Knows, which was written in 1908 by somebody called Louise Haskins. But they're now known as the gate of the year. So I'll read them to you. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth and finding the hand of God, 
trod gladly into the night. And he led me towards the hills and the breaking of day in the lone, the lone east. The Lord's always there for us. Let's put our hands into his hand and know that he's there for us and he'll never, ever let us go. Amen.